No country has ever prospered that failed to put its own interests first. We will no longer surrender this country or its people to the false song of globalism. New Right Network presents Right Now, the featured podcast of New Right Network. Mobilizing, countering the left, energizing the right. New Right Network, home of the New Right Movement. Welcome to Right Now, the featured podcast of the New Right Network. Today is a very, very special guest. It is Jennifer Bukowski. She is a self-described Rand Paul Republican. I hope that we can say that still. She'll correct me if I'm wrong. She's also the host of the Jennifer Bukowski Show on radio, YouTube, Facebook, and podcast. And I will get the information on where you can find that because I've seen her. She's great. If you haven't seen her, check her out. Jennifer, how you doing today? How, how you doing, I guess? Yeah. I'm great. It's great to be here, Ryan. Thanks for having me. It's, it's our pleasure. So um, if anybody's out there like, you know, we get a lot of MAGA people and we get a lot of younger people that are like, you know, maybe I'm not as familiar with, you know, you guys used to work maybe with Rand Paul and stuff like that. What if you still hold those beliefs? What is a Rand Paul Republican? A Rand Paul Republican is one of these wonky people that is really attracted to the ideas of smaller government, limiting the debt and uh Basically, libertarian, small L, libertarian republicanism. Right. So you basically, you know, lower taxes, not, you know, be able to keep what you earn. Um, we, we all, we're big fans of that. Absolutely. Yeah. Less you know, government intervention in our lives, less interventionist wars. And uh, so it is really consistent with the America first ideology of our president. 110%. I completely agree with you. Uh, I really, you know, I... I try to call balls, balls, and strikes, strikes, and I really get um, frustrated with John Bolton big time and, uh, you know, trying to drag us into this war um, as the blood-sucking vampire that he is into Iran, and I do not want to see that happen, especially before 2020, but not at all. You know, what do you think about that? You're absolutely right. I mean, the population in Iran, it would be such a gigantic conflict that we can't even get out of Afghanistan going, what, 18 years now? So it is daunting to think about. It concerns me that Bolton's in the White House advising our president, and I hope that he is still listening to people like his friend Rand Paul when it comes to regime-changing wars and the like. No, I completely agree with that. I just, um, I don't know. I know they're really trying, and, you know, you really have to question uh, Bolton's motives. I saw him on Tucker Carlson about two months ago, and Tucker really called him out, and I thought that was a great interview. Right. And we could have rebuilt every road in America for what we spent in the Middle East. For what purpose? To what end? I mean, those people hate us. They're going to continue to hate us. I mean, heck, you, we were talking before we started about how you're in Lawrence now, and we're both uh, Midwest people, but the Missouri and Kansas guys are still mad at each other over a conflict that occurred 160 years ago here. We're not making any friends by staying entrenched in wars over the Middle East. They will resent it for generations to come. We need to bring our troops home. Although I am no fan of uh, some of these Middle Eastern people and, you know, some of their crazy, you know, Jihadists, especially Yasser Arafat had a really good quote about that. He said, you know, that basically we're over there killing the fathers 
And one day the sons will try to avenge the fathers. And I think that if we, the more blood we, people we kill, we're just going to raise the next generation to fight against us too. There has to be a way around it without you know going over there and shooting and bombing and all this kind of stuff and wasting American lives and resources. That's yeah, what I think. our blood and our treasure could be better spent elsewhere. Like you said, infrastructure. I mean, how many you, – you were in Missouri. I mean, how, you know, the more man-made lakes, I think, in Missouri than any other state in the union. And, I mean, those dams and all that are, you know, they're going to pot. They need to fix them. Right. We have bridges and roads and paddles of our own to be concerned with. And we need to put those first and put America first, Americans and America. So if you're a Rand Paul Republican, you were probably in with Ron Paul and probably, uh, probably down with the Tea Party to some extent, weren't you, before Trump? Uh, yeah, the Tea Party is really what galvanized me onto the scene uh, after having kids and realizing that things needed to be okay with our country for the long term, not just while I was around. I got involved around the time of the Tea Party. So I guess I'm a Tea Partier, even though the definition of that has been you know, skewed over the years, so it's a little hard to say exactly what it is to be a Tea Partier. Yeah, Tea Party seemed to fizzle there a little bit, and I actually became kind of disenfranchised with the whole conservative movement in general, very apathetic. And then here we go, 2015, the great escalator ride. And then were you just were you a fan of Trump from the beginning or were you a convert along the way? I was not a fan at the beginning. Uh, <laughs> I am not very good at predicting real candidates in presidential races, apparently. I didn't think he was a real serious candidate. I was uh, for Rand Paul. I thought it would be a contested convention, so I used what cloud I had to become a delegate. Rand Paul, of course, was out well before the convention, so I wound up at the convention in 2016 in Cleveland as a delegate for Trump for the state of Missouri. And it was there that I became a true Trump convert. And, you know, I have a convert zeal about our president. I think he's doing a terrific job. He's not perfect, but he's exactly the man we needed at this moment in history. I completely agree with everything you just said. What was it that actually kind of got you? What was your, oh, gotcha moment, this Trump is the guy I'm going to back on this? Well, there were several. First of all, every jurisdiction, the states and the territories in D.C. had to announce how many delegates they had for each of the candidates, Cruz and Trump, were primarily. And the first one to announce zero delegates for President Trump was D.C., the District of Columbia, and it hit me that whoever they don't want is exactly who we need to send there because I truly believe that there was an unholy alliance between the establishments of the right and the left, and it would be same-o, same-o, sell-out America in, for the interest of the big, you know, war machine and lobbyists on K Street and everything else and forget about the people in the middle of the country. That's what was going to continue to happen. So I was, that was a sign that something was going Right, when they had zero votes, uh, zero delegates for Trump. Also, seeing that he is a businessman, he understands what it's like to sign the bottom of the paycheck and make payroll, and he understands economics, and he had some bold ideas. Those were things that were what we needed. We didn't need a professional politician that didn't understand how business works, because the business of America is business, as Calvin Coolidge said, but we'd gotten too far away from that. 100% true, and, uh, you know, I, again, I like, agree with you. I think I like the fact that he is a bull in a china shop and that he's uh, messing up, you know, this, uh, I guess yeah, you would call it the swamp, I guess, you know, and that's really what I like about Trump the most. 
You know, uh, let's kind of switch gears because I actually, when I was kind of prepping for this and talking to people, and I said, you know, she's a she's a lawyer. You wouldn't believe how many people are like, ask her about Jeffrey Epstein. Is he going to prison? What's going on with, you know, double jeopardy? So I'm going to have to get that out of the way or I'm never going to hear the end of it. What's going to happen with Jeffrey Epstein, in your opinion? Well, he is uh, up a creek at this point. I thought it was interesting. Typically, what happens when you have a, basically, he had a deferred prosecution agreement. They, the feds got the state to charge him and entered an agreement with him and his attorneys that said, as long as he has to register as a sex offender and these couple of requirements, we will not file federal charges on him at this time. The federal case was harder to make against him with the evidence they had at that point than any sort of state charges because it would have to involve interstate lines and things like that in order to charge him federally. And this, the state evidence was much stronger. So once the state did go ahead and charge him, they entered that agreement. It's very uncommon, rare. I've never really ever seen it for a defendant to not violate the terms of that agreement, but nonetheless get charged years later, many years later, like he has been. And so there must be more going on behind the scenes than I'm privy to, because that is just not how things are done day to day in the criminal justice system, where we could never resolve cases out and plead them out. If you thought that, oh, well, in a few years, they might go back on their word, why would you ever enter an agreement with the government? I'll tell you what gets me about the whole situation is how you see the bizarreness out of, uh, you know, a legal scholar like Alan Dershowitz. Alan Dershowitz saying, yeah, I, I got massage from these underage girls, but I kept my underwear on. What? I don't know if that's the best defense, Alan. Wait, Alan Dershowitz already... got massaged by the – will you repeat what you just said? Alan Dershowitz was saying that he got massages by these people, these girls and all this, but he kept his underwear on and stuff. I mean – The Dersh was he... hanging out with Epstein? Did that – how did I miss that? This is why Dershowitz is uh, trying to get those uh, documents released. And then Cernovich, uh, Mike Cernovich also filed behind him, actually suing one of the victims in the case to get that unsealed because Cernovich was trying to basically clear his name in a separate side of the issue. But, but Dershowitz is absolutely involved in all this. And I, to what extent, to answer your question, I don't know. But I also don't think that Dershowitz should be making claims about he's an 80-year-old man and talking about how he thinks that sex with a 15-year-old girl is still okay and that he stands by his previous statements and judgments on that. To me, that just seems so outrageous that a Harvard professor would do that, or an ex-Harvard professor, whatever he is. I, I, I would have to – I missed that article. I, you, you should definitely look that up. Dershowitz has some very eye-raising – it actually went all over Twitter when he said it. It's uh, not what you would expect from uh, somebody of the caliber of Alan Dershowitz. That's anyway, interesting. Uh, I see that he has uh, a tweet pinned here. He's written, are you talking about his op-ed that he's written? It's, there's a lot of interesting stuff happening. And, then, you know, uh, I also think that with this treasure trove of evidence that they found in Epstein's apartment, I think that there's a lot of people that are more than a little nervous in New York and D.C. and elsewhere about what's going to come out about them. I would agree with you there, and I thought it was interesting, the Vanity Fair piece, I think it was, or something like some one of these glossy uh, publications in New York that talked about what it was like inside of that apartment and how it, you know, featured in this green apartment was a signed photo of Epstein with Bill Clinton. So 
there are several people that might be nervous about what may emerge from here. And I will say this, uh, I've mentioned this on Twitter, but no one really replied to it. Like for private planes, they looked at the logs to show that Clinton was on the plane with Epstein several different times. For those number of times that he's actually logged as being on the plane, I bet it's very possible that there could have been many, many other times where the pilots just kindly, you know, covered for them and didn't write down the president's name with a bunch of underage girls and Epstein on a plane because it would obviously look inappropriate. So, you know, there's ways around that, too, on the flight log. It's not monitored where you're showing your ID like commercial air air travel. Right. I mean, this exactly. Uh, this kind of things are not, you know, regulated with the uh, utmost scrutiny. When somebody is writing your paycheck, that you're also saying, "Hey, look the other way." Maybe you know. I'm sure that happens. To go down. Oh, to I'm island, sure. Yeah. Like, to get on the Lolita Express and fly down to an island that the locals down there are referring to as Pedophile Island. I don't see that. I don't see that sorting out very well for the Podestas, for the Clintons, for any of them. And if you look at what Trump, Trump called him out years ago. You know, he called Epstein out for the creepiness. He's done that with Schneiderman before all that broke. With Wiener, he's got a pattern of identifying these people and not associating with them uh, like the Clintons do. Hey, I'm going to give Anthony Wiener a big compliment. Anthony, you've been out of prison for at least two months. You haven't exposed yourself, at least did. That we know of. <laughs> in, in public, that we know Under your are. own Twitter handle, at least, right? He could have definitely have used more sneakiness to his own benefit, I think, in that situation. And, you know, I love that uh, speech that he's giving, and they start screaming at him. He's kind of like, oh, you know, the past is behind me, and they keep screaming, you're a disgrace. It's just classic. It is. But, you know, Yuma Aberdeen, I mean, she's just as bad. And I think, I think she took him back. She did. He moved back in with her. Disgraceful, absolutely. So um, what do you make of, I guess, got to get off of that a little bit. I, it, is, it, it is a rabbit hole that's hard to get out of. It's just so interesting. It's almost like a, the soap opera of everything in politics is everything that surrounds Jeffrey Epstein. But I guess on a more serious side, you know, uh, what do you think is going to happen with these red flag laws in light of these uh, shootings that we're seeing around the country? You know, I'm concerned about them because, like many laws we, we launch into with good intentions, there's a lot of unforeseen consequences. And I think that anytime you have, like, a Megan's Law or some sort of law that's based on an incident, it ends up not being our best criminal law on the books. These red flag laws have some due process concerns. I've seen a lot being a criminal defense attorney for over 10 years, I've seen ex parte orders of protection weaponized between people that are having breakups or whatever else. Um, And so it concerns me that they're looking at enacting this red flag law stuff at this point. Hopefully it doesn't go anywhere. No, I completely agree. I hope that uh, Trump... And would a red flag law have done anything here? Or... Any shoot, mass shooting? That's the other question. Like, all the solutions that they come up with often seem to be things that wouldn't have solved the problem that, you know, led to the discussion being had. 
Absolutely not. I mean, uh, again, you know, if you outlaw guns, then only criminals have guns, right? So, I mean, that's what's going to happen with it. If people want, if people want to get firearms, they're going to get firearms. Period. So, do you think, in the long term here, what do you, what do you think is going to happen with it? I mean, they are just up in arms about everything about how it's white supremacists ruin the country and how I mean, the liberals are really having a full on meltdown about this Second Amendment and apparently are all-encompassing stain of racism that's pervasive in America, apparently. Yeah, it's looking like 2020 is going to be racism versus patriotism. I hope that it is going to, you know, be out of our minds because we have very short attention spans, as lucky we are in America to have different things to talk about. I think it's a symptom... I mean, I can understand people feeling scared and helpless about these mass shootings taking place, but also I think that there's a lot of politicization of this issue, and uh, they don't really have many other things to argue on right now. I mean, they don't have any evidence of real racism to go on. They're trying to look for anything to try to get an edge to beat Trump in 2020, and that's exactly what this is all about. I wish it... I wasn't so cynical and that I thought people were being genuine in this discussion, but I don't. This is the aftermath of the failed Russian collusion hoax. This is all they have. This is if it Right, it's the girl that cried wolf or boy that cried wolf again and again. Now, if you're super upset, I can't take you as seriously now because you thought Trump was an agent of the Russian government. If you turn on MSNBC, that's what they were being told night after night. And now they're being told that Trump is some sort of white nationalist i got to tell you, being a Republican, a guy that's from Manhattan, that's been in Manhattan all his life, basically, he is not going to be anywhere near racist. Like, Republicans aren't racist anyway. No Republican ever owned a slave. But in terms of being, you know, having familiarity with uh, people of color in all kinds of positions, in all kinds of tiers of society, that's what it's like in New York. I mean, there are people of of color, they're super rich, super successful, in charge of things. The whole socioeconomic uh, scale is there in New York and employed by Trump this whole time. So why would the idea that he's a racist is mind-boggling and it's just such a stretch. But then again, he was an agent of Russia too, so who knows what they're going to come up with? I don't. I don't see how they have much else. I think they're going to try to hammer in this racism. Of course. It didn't work in 2016, the whole identity politics thing, and it's not really addressing the forgotten man and woman of America that handed the Republicans the election last time, so I'm not exactly why they're sure why they're doing it, except maybe their feelings could be to blame. It doesn't look particularly strategic to me. Or maybe it's to try to make people feel ashamed about being Trump supporters, um, that's certainly the chilling effect, like the doxing of Trump donors, as we see from this Castro guy. Um, that, there's a lot of that going on. The whole concept that the red mega hats or clan hoods, um, they're uh, trying they're to shame people. Happen. And that's, I mean, that's how I actually got so many Twitter followers. I have got like 34,500 followers. I got 15,000 of those in a 10-day period before the election because I held up a sign in my office um, that said, you know, America deserves better than Hillary. And it, I had some, like, signs from the convention strewn around, and I did it on Hillary and I's shared birthday, October 26th, uh, before the election, and I said, secretly voting Trump, 
your country wouldn't need you to speak out right now. Together we can defeat Hillary. The reason I did that was because even people, you know, in Missouri that I know that are normal or whatever, if they were voting for Trump, you didn't know it. They were very on the down low about it. It wasn't something that people were loud and proud about. And the message we were getting from the media is that only toothless idiots who are mad about losing their factory job and overweight, you know, are voting for Trump. Nobody else is. So I wanted to send that tweet out to show that normal people, educated people, are voting for Trump and that we should be proud about that fact in order to stop, you know, the country going the way of Hillary, which would have been a disaster. Yeah, there was, there was a lot of uh, pseudo-intellectualism and uh, elitism that really kind of led them to get very arrogant and not campaign in Wisconsin and other key areas that really, really hurt him in that election. And, uh, but that wouldn't be fun. You wouldn't have Hollywood or your rich club of friends to pal around with. If you went to those places, you'd have to talk to those people, wouldn't you? I heard that's just a little chilly in Wisconsin. Let's go ahead and go for the hot stone massages, and uh, we'll just not campaign there and lose the election. That's kind of how it worked out, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, the hubris is that led Hillary to fail the bar exam, that led Kamala Harris to fail the bar exam, just the sense of entitlement and everything else that they're too good to put in the work and uh, do the job right. And they want to be leaders of the free world, Kamala and Hillary. Unbelievable. What do you think about the collapse of Kamala Harris's support amongst black voters in uh, the aftermath of the Tulsi Gabbard uh, takedown of Kamala? Yeah, karma for Kamala. I mean, Tulsi was absolutely right. She was in a position of power where she could have done the right thing for people that were innocent, wrongfully convicted, and everything else. Instead, she doesn't. She has her office uh, go forward with a policy of fighting to keep innocent people in prison, which, to be fair, most attorney generals in our country do. But she could have changed that. She did not. She also was laughing about how whether or not she'd smoked marijuana back in the day when she was also locking people up for smoking marijuana. So I think that was karma and that she had it coming. Wasn't it also Kamala Harris? Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, there you go. I couldn't hear if I was muted or not there. Uh, Wasn't it Kamala Harris that also said that she was listening to Tupac and smoking marijuana in college when, in fact, she had graduated college before they ever released an album or something? Yep, that's right. So she was either lying about ever smoking pot or she was actually smoking pot while she was prosecuting people and locking them up for pot. (laughs) Yeah, she's a real gem. So I guess, uh, who who do you see on the left? Who do you think, I know we're not, you know, clairvoyant or anything, but who's going to go the distance here? Who's Trump going to be up against? You think it's going to be Biden? Are they going to go that way? And what's going to happen? I I really don't know at this point. I mean, for a minute there, it looked like Kamala was strong. Uh, Biden, he was struggling last debate. He did better than the first debate, but he still, his age is showing. You know, Trump has branded him as, Sleepy Joe, and I think that was smart because he is really struggling uh, with things, and it, he appears old and not really with it when he's like the uh, go to Joe3330.com and different things like that. Um, so it's going to be difficult for me to predict this one. I mean, it's anybody's game in a field this large. There's no clear person. Do you think there is, Ryan, right now, to you? I think that 
that the Democratic Party with the superdelegates has a true history of just having the anointed and that the anointed in 2008, I think there was a deal made between Barack Obama that and Hillary Clinton that there would be Barack's turn and after Barack was done that Hillary would run. And I think that because that Biden was so close to the top, I think that he is their betrothed to, to run. And I think they're going to go with him. And I think all you're seeing with all these debates is just a smoke and pony show. I think that they're going 100%. I think you're going to see a repeat of 2016. I think you're going to see uh, Bernie Sanders have a sizable majority going into the DNC convention. And I think they're going to get shut. He's going to get shut out again by the establishment. And uh, you're going to see the collapse of the further <laughs> the collapse of the Democratic Party, and I think you're going to see a Trump victory in 2020 because of it. I really hope about the Trump victory in 2020. Knock on wood, let's not count our chickens. The one person I would say to not count out yet is Elizabeth Warren. I've spent a lot of time analyzing her. I think she might be the smartest one of them. I mean, you'd have to be to invent this identity politics game, cheat it, and get use it to get onto the Harvard faculty and into the United States Senate. Um, she is yes. well-liked by a lot of those so very powerful media figures, and so it's possible that she will be a contender for a long time to come. And I've heard that she is very likable in person. She may be, but, you know, Massachusetts is a mess, and all those uh, Democratic places are a mess. And, you know, she... Illinois is a mess, and they, we elected Barack Obama president. It's always been a mess. I live in Missouri, so grew up in St. Louis. That, Illinois has been a mess my entire life. Yes. Yeah, I know. Illinois actually has was voted as the uh, most corrupt of any state in beating out even the states in the deep south people make fun of as the most corrupt uh, state in the union, Illinois, with the worst credit rating, by the way. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. It is got some problems. It's a real gem. Uh, so what what's going on with you? Uh, you got doing your show and you, uh, I don't know, you're going to, Maybe take some time before the election. Maybe do a little writing, or you know, what's what's in the future there for Jennifer? I am looking at doing some writing. I'm working on a serial podcast that's in development that I'm pretty excited about, and uh, just doing my show, enjoying life. I'm ready to help Trump win in 2020 any way I can, and we'll just see how this all goes. Well, we're really big fans of yours, and well, thank you. I think Likewise. I really. Oh, thank you. Very kind of you. Um, and again, if anybody listens to podcasts is having any audio issues, please bear with me. I don't know what the issue is, so if I am repeating myself, I'm not really repeating myself. So um, I guess uh, the final topic that I'd like to cover uh, with you today is voter ID. I think this is going to be a major thing going into 2020, and every time also we get anybody with any form of legal background, everybody wants to know, why can't we get voter ID passed? Is there a law against it? Is it discrimination? What do you have to say about that? Can you answer just anything about that? Well, I mean, several states have passed laws about that voter ID. Some state Supreme Courts have struck them down, saying that they, you know, unfairly hurt people that are minorities or whatever else and suppress their vote. So it is... Uh, interesting that the same group of people that wants you to now have a license to get a gun uh, doesn't want you to have to show any identi identification to vote. It's puzzling. There is, I mean, voter ID is the least of the worries. If you look at the wish list that is that 
House Resolution 1 that the Democrats all voted for, by the way. It, it, they want automatic voter registration. They want 16-year-olds to be registered to vote in advance. They want um, to do these ballot harvesting where they can go around and collect absentee ballots, you know, for each other. There's a lot of different ploys that are going on right now. And really, that House, that House Resolution Number 1 would adopt a lot of what California already has codified, and it is their true wish list, and it shows that they are making a major power play to try to take back power and then to keep it permanently. So we need to be mindful of that in trying to make elections fair going forward. As long as there's Democrats, there will not be fair elections. I love the old joke that says, I hope I don't die before the next election. And people go, well, why is that? Because I don't want to vote Democrat. Because everybody, apparently, when you die, 100% they vote <laughs> Democrat. It's a funny thing how that works. It is funny. It's funny how they find a bunch of ballots in the trunks of cars and everything else, too. But we need, I mean, it's in everyone's interest to, for people to have confidence in the integrity of the process so that they participate in it. So hopefully I'm going to be, again, part of the Republican National Lawyers Association. I was just at their conference last weekend. I volunteer with them on Election Day. We'll have Election Day operations in effect, so we'll have attorneys appointed for all the hot spots to be ready to litigate if need be if there's any shenanigans going on. So we'll be ready. You need to be ready because they're definitely going to cheat this time. There's definitely uh, – Well, I'd encourage your viewers to please volunteer. We need Republicans, especially in Democrat areas, to be election judges. I mean, you need them for every single precinct. We need them to be uh, volunteer counters to assist any way you can the party in making sure that we have a fair election. I completely agree. Thank you for saying that. That's a, I mean, that's a – I, you I don't need to be that. an attorney for that. Like our organization will have attorneys overseeing things that could go and respond, but there aren't enough Republican attorneys. It's a liberal profession to have one in every precinct. We need smart, you know, Republicans there at the polls with their boots on the ground and their watchful eyes to make sure that we have a fair day in 2020. I couldn't have said that better myself. So, Jennifer, I guess it will wrap that up. We'll leave it there today, but hopefully we'll have you back on very, very soon. Um, if people are looking at looking for you out there on the interwebs, where would they find you? You can go to jenniferbukowski.com or follow me on Twitter at Esquire, ESQ on fire. Absolutely. And as for us, you can always find us at www.newrightnetwork.com and on all social media, that is on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Parlor and countless more at New Right Network. That's one word, at New Right Network. Everybody, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you again soon. You've been listening to New Right Network, mobilizing, countering, energizing. Online at newrightnetwork.com.